Good morning, church. Um, we are going to be reading from Mark chapter 3, and so we'll read the whole chapter. Um, I'd love you guys to open up um, and read with me. So if you've got a Bible or a device, open to Mark 3, um, but it also will be up on the screen behind me. Um, I might pray before we start reading. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Bible. Just pray that you would help us to uh, hear your word today and that we may uh, speak clearly um, so that we can hear what you have to say. Amen. All right, so Mark chapter 3. Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him, how they might kill him. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed from Galilee, and a large crowd followed from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. The large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing towards him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve whom he also named apostles to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve. To Simon, he gave the name Peter. And to James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who, was also, who also betrayed him. Jesus entered a house, and the crowd gathered again, so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him, because they said, he's out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Truly I tell you, People will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has never has forgiveness, 
but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. His mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was looking around, was sitting around and told him, look, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, who are my mother and brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Lisa has prayed for us, so let's have a look at Mark chapter 3. We continue uh, working through Mark's account of Jesus' life. It's one of the uh, number of historical accounts that we have of Jesus. There's four stitched into what we have as our New Testament. But Mark is sort of keen, very keen for us to understand three things. Firstly, who is Jesus? Secondly, why did he come? And thirdly, what does it mean to follow him? And as we're at the start of Mark's gospel, Mark's account of Jesus' life, we've been looking at who is Jesus. Mark starts his account by saying the coming of Jesus into the world is actually God coming into the world, the Lord coming into the world, and it's great news. It's fantastic news that God comes into uh, our world. And God affirms the authority of Jesus right from the early verses of Mark's account. As the Spirit descends upon Jesus from heaven and there's a voice from heaven concerning Jesus. This is my beloved Son, my much-loved Son. Listen to Him. It's unmistakable that God wants us, humanity, to listen to His appointed King over the universe, King Jesus. And responding to Jesus rightly is crucial God says, listen to him. What does Jesus say? Repent and believe the good news. Turn from living for yourself. Turn from living for sin. Turn to me. Receive forgiveness. Live for me. Repent and believe the good news. And what we see here, actually, in Mark chapter 3, is a number of different responses uh, to Jesus. And we see also those who truly belong to Jesus. So in a sense, I've got responding and belonging because getting Jesus' identity right is critical. Uh, Sometimes we meet people and we understand their identity and it's a big deal. Sometimes it's not such a big deal. There was an occasion where Sally and I were over uh, visiting her sister in America. We went up to New York and... uh, and we bought one of these cards, travel cards, in when we were in New York that uh, gave you seven days unlimited travel, which was fantastic for me as Scotsman. And uh, it was brilliant, you know. So, but we only ended up using four of it. It was cheaper to buy the seven-day ticket than to buy tickets for each day. Another story. But anyway, I, we were leaving New York and I still had like four days left on this card. Like, this is gold, you know. So I thought, I'm going to give it to someone at the airport. And uh, so I was, I was just sort of 
started chatting to a guy and he was actually an Aussie and, uh, and I said, look, I've got this card, you don't, I'm not selling you anything, you can have it, there's four days left on it, it's like fantastic, you know, it's, uh, it's brilliant. And he said, look, thank you so much, that's really kind of you. And he took the card and, and off I went and Sally's like over here because she's embarrassed that I talk to strangers and, uh, and, and she says, do you happen to know who you gave that card to? And I said, no. She said, that's Jason Day, the Australian golfer. You know, that's uh, like, oh, okay, all righty. And, and now missing his identity, because frankly, I had no idea who Jason Day was. In fact, I, did I get his name right? Is he a golfer, Jason Day? Yep. Yeah, th- thank you. Someone knows. Uh, yeah, he, he's a famous golfer. Um, getting his identity wrong, not such a big deal. Uh, you know, it might have been nice if I sort of said hello to him and what a great player he was, but, you know, to stroke his ego. But, hey, didn't really matter. But getting Jesus' identity wrong is crucial because Jesus is the king of the universe and responding to him wrongly will have eternal significance for you and for me. And in Mark chapter 3, we see different responses from different people. There's the religious leaders, the crowds, the demons, the disciples, even Jesus' own family. We see the responses there from all of these people and they're And pardon the corniness of my outline, but I see four different responses to Jesus. Demonic, Jesus is demonic, of the devil, or Jesus is dynamic, you know, powerful. Jesus is deluded from Jesus' family and Jesus is divine. And I just want to skip through these quite quickly. The first one will be a bit longer, just by the way, heads up there, and then I'll go through the rest fairly quickly. First response is that Jesus is demonic. Uh, It might surprise you to realise that it's the religious leaders that have problems with Jesus. And we see this very early on in Mark's account of Jesus' life. Uh, The religious leaders conclude in verse 22, as some of them come up from Jerusalem, that Jesus is demonic. Actually, as I read this, I thought, I could have had another, I could have had five groups in there, five responses. Jesus is dangerous. Uh, Because the religious leaders saw him as a great danger to their religiosity. Uh, Jesus was coming in and speaking a different word. Jesus was coming in and, 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 and shattering their power plays that they were all on about. But anyway, we've got Jesus, that's the conclusion is that he was demonic. Here we see on the, the, the Sabbath day, uh, there's a guy with a shriveled hand. Uh, in the synagogue, probably planted there by the religious leaders because they are out to try and catch, catch, catch him healing on the Sabbath day. Now Jesus says to them, a very interesting question, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath day or is the Sabbath day a day for doing evil? Hmm? What do you reckon? He says to the religious leaders, is it the Sabbath day a day for doing good? Or a day for doing evil? Hmm? What do you reckon? Is it a day to save life? Or is is it a day to destroy life? Now Jesus knew what these religious leaders were thinking. He knew that they were trying to plot, they were plotting to kill him. So the question is very pointed. What's the Sabbath day for? To do good or to kill? To save or to kill? Hmm. To do good or to destroy? What do you reckon? Of course, they have no answer. They remain silent. And then Jesus looks around. 
because of their stubbornness of hearts towards him, with great sadness and anger and distress, all of those things, Jesus looks around. Just picture it. The king of the universe has come into this world. He's come to rescue this world. He's come to rescue us from sin and all its consequences. He's come to free us from God's judgment. He's come to bring us new life. He's come to restore the creation that's broken. He's come to bring us into the new creation. He's opening heaven's gate and he comes in great love to ordinary people, not just ordinary people. He comes in great love to people who are outcasts, to people who are sinners, to people who are shunned by society. He comes to touch the leper, to meet with the sinner. In great love, he's come to do all of this. And here he is in the synagogue, supposed to be God's place on the day that God has made. He is the king over that day, and he has come to do good. And all these religious leaders are thinking of is how we are going to kill him because he's getting in the way of our religious beliefs. And Jesus looks around with huge anger and distress at this. And then he gets everyone's attention. He gets the man to stand up and without actually doing any work, in inverted commas, he just says to them, he just heals the man. And the man is healed. They plot to kill him. And how great is Jesus' distress. And how great is his rightful anger at humanity. That as Psalm 2 says, rages against God and against his anointed one. The Pharisees plot together, did you notice, uh, with the Herodians, verse 6. Don't know much about them, but they are the supporters of King Herod, who was the, the current ruler over all of them, that had them, they were all his subjects. Rome had come in, taken charge. The Herodians were friends with the political leadership. The Pharisees and the religious leaders had no, nothing to do with the Herodians. But on this occasion, they meet together to plot to kill Jesus. And as I read this and reflected on it, I thought, how, how current this is when the religious leaders, even the leaders of Christian churches who should be upholding the truth of God, uh, uh, jettisoning the truth of God and going along with the political flavour of the month. And what are they doing? They're getting rid of Jesus. And with great anger and distress, Jesus will meet these people and he will meet you if that is your response to him. The religious leaders 
conclude, as some of the heavies come down from Jerusalem, that Jesus is actually acting not under God's power, but under Satan's power. And they conclude that he's demonic. Jesus, in defending this charge, masterfully replies in verse 23, How can it be that Satan drives out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If Satan opposes himself, well, he's finished. And Jesus goes on to say, Actually, I'm the strong man who has entered Satan's house and bound him up. I'm the one who's come to crush Satan. I'm the one who's come to deal with evil. I'm the one who's come to make him finished. I'm not one of his. I'm the strong man. Think Genesis 3 of the promise of God to humanity that one day he would bring one who would crush Satan and that's Jesus and he would ultimately do that on the cross where he deals with Satan's power, our sin, to bring us into right relationship with God. They plot to kill him. Or where are you with Jesus? Have you seen who he is? Is he a danger to you? He's a danger to a lot in our society. And a lot in our society think, well, he's not of God. God wouldn't be like that. You hear it quite regularly. The second response here in these verses is that his dynamic, and this is much more brief, just by the way, in case you're wondering... Jesus is dynamic. What I mean by that is Jesus is amazing. Look at his power. Look at his authority. It's fantastic. Let's go. Where is he off to tomorrow? Where, where, where? Let's go and see him. Jesus goes away to a quiet place. Let's follow him. So much so the crowds throng to him that he had to get into a boat and, and, and push off from shore, shore to talk to them, otherwise he would be crushed. People who were, he healed, they, more and more people find out about him, they rush to him, they, they even just try to touch him to be healed. So vast was the number of people who came to Jesus, from near, from far, from Jewish territory, from Gentile territory. And there's a, just an amazement at his dynamism. The crowds are there. But on the whole, the crowds are not responding to Jesus personally in repentance, turning, and in believing the good news. It seems that they are largely there for what he could do for them, for the healing that he could provide for them, for the buzz and for the thrill of seeing something amazing happening for them. And maybe some of them thought, this is the king who will kick out the Romans and restore Israel as a nation. But Jesus was not keen to reinforce any of these misconceptions that he came just to be a great healer or he came to be a great political uh, yeah, releaser. And so even when the demons start crying out, you are the son of God, in some sort of mock homage, Jesus commands them to stop. The huge crowds were looking for someone who would be res responding to them by doing something for them. But they were not, on the whole, interested in truly responding to Jesus. So how does this sit with you? 
Are you one of these crowds? Oh, Jesus is amazing. He's dynamic. He's powerful. Sometimes you hear this. He's such an inspiration. As if he's just giving me what I need to get through this day type of thing. But is there anything more than that? Is Jesus anything more than that to you? Is he just an inspiration? Is he just someone that you think, oh, that's, he's so nice? He's the King of Kings. He died for your sins. Let that be our starting point. And let that inspire us. Most certainly, he is powerful to work in us now. Yes. But see him for who he is. Jesus was not keen for people just to see him as the great dynamism at this stage because they were yet to find out and he was yet to tell, him, to tell them why he came. That's the second part of what Mark wants us to find out about Jesus. That comes a little later. Well, the third response is, and it's from an unlikely source, is that Jesus is deluded Jesus is deluded and this comes from his own family. They come, verse 21, to take charge of Jesus because they think he's out of his mind. They've heard that he's uh, working so hard and he, his disciples are with him and there's so many people, there's so many crowds that they're not you know, even able to eat. Uh, they come down, they try to sort of fix him up because they think he's out of his mind. And there are many people who think this about Jesus. I mean, the word of Jesus is clear. Repent, turn from your sins, turn to me. The word of Jesus is clear. John records it. I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the world says, that's just crazy. I don't need Jesus. I'm okay. I've not done much wrong. Mark will later record that Jesus, the one with all authority, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom a payment for many does that just seem a little crazy there would be people who think it is but we need to see jesus for who he is coming in great love to restore and then the fourth group of people are those who respond to Jesus, seeing him, not as demonic or just dynamic, not as deluded, but as divine, of God, from God, truly God. The first thing that we see in this group of people is that Jesus calls the twelve, calling them to send them out to proclaim the news of the kingdom and giving them authority to drive out demons. Another mark, another sign that the kingdom of God has come. Evil is being pushed back. Satan will be ultimately destroyed. And the twelve, clear reference to the new covenant people that Jesus will establish, are sent out. But we see with great clarity in the final verses of this chapter, those who respond to Jesus rightly. These are those who see him as he is, from God, of God, truly God, divine. These are those 
who truly belong to Jesus. Might surprise you. You might think, well, surely the religious people, those who are fastidious about keeping the religious laws, those who know the the laws, those who practice the laws, those who dress up in fine clothes and those who seem to be floating above everyone else, surely these religious people, surely they are in the kingdom of God. Wrong. Or surely the crowds who are so enthusiastic about following him, you know, they're, they're all crushing to try and get to him, they're running to meet him, surely they are in the kingdom of God. Just by their own enthusiasm. Wrong. Surely his family, surely Jesus' own family, surely they're in the kingdom of God. Wrong. Who's in the kingdom of God? Who are Jesus' family? Who are his brothers? Who are his sisters? Who are his mothers? Who is in the family? Who is in the kingdom of God? Jesus asks this question in verse 33. This very question. And then he answers it. Those who do God's will, they are my brother and sister and mother. And what is God's will? What is God's will according to Mark? He's already told us God's will for us, Mark says, is that we will listen to Jesus. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, it's not just getting an audio tape out and listening to him. There's a lot more bound up. Jesus says, goes on to say, God says, listen to Jesus, listen to my beloved son. What does Jesus say? Repent and believe the good news. There's good news there for people who repent. There's good news there for people who turn to Jesus. There's good news there for sinners There's good news. There's forgiveness for all of us. And I did leave this out, left this out, but Jesus has in his discussion about uh, them, them accusing him of being demonic, Jesus says, every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven. Everything will be forgiven. There's no, there's no sin outside of God's scope. The only sin that will, will not be forgiven is when we see the work and the, and, the, uh, and the words of Jesus and say, that is not of God, that's of the devil. And that is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. That's saying what is God's is actually of the devil. And if you have that attitude, there's no forgiveness. But those who come to Jesus, repenting and believing the good news that the kingdom of God is near, that there's forgiveness in Jesus, will be forgiven. Those in the kingdom, it's not based on pedigree or privilege or intellect or flashiness, nor of your earthly position or of your status, but trusting in Christ, listening, learning, following. Get Jesus right for life. 
C.S. Lewis, the great 20th century author and theologian, was got so fed up with people of his day that sort of said, oh, you know, we love Jesus. He's so, you know, he's a great moral teacher. I'm talking a British accent because C.S. Lewis was British. Um, you know, he was such a lovely man, great moral teacher, salt of the earth, you know, lovely. You know, he got so fed up with people. Oh, but I don't, he's God? No, 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 no. Let's not get all fanatical about him. No, he's lovely. You know, we love, he's a great teacher. C.S. Lewis got so fed up with people that, that sort of had this lovely, mushy feeling about Jesus, but he's not really God, and I'm not really turn to him, turning to him. I'm not really submitting to him. I'm not really asking him to forgive me. No, 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 no. But he's a great... He got so fed up with it. He wrote these words. We cannot accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but don't accept his claim to be God. This is one thing we cannot, we must not say... A man who is merely a man, a man who is just a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He can't be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says, I'm a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. How have you responded to Jesus? Jesus.